It's the Sam Alex Show. What did you think of the Golden Globes? You know, I loved them because <laughs> I was really ready for a dose of, you know, something not important and light and fluffy, particularly with all that's going on in the news. So yes. <laughs> um, I've read a lot about, you know, Ricky Gervais and he was obnoxious or he said something really important about sort of the pompous Hollywood crowd and the left-wing media isn't taking that seriously and the right-wing media this I'm like I'm just like no no no. stop 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 (laughs) you know these are actors these are movies this is fun yes obviously it's very big business um for people in the entertainment industry but I I enjoyed it for the pageantry and frivolity um that you know, was was well-timed with what's been going on in the last several weeks particularly. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Was it you who tweeted or someone else about, um, I, I know uh, Rita Wilson, who I'm friends with, she's a country artist in Nashville often, her uh, like makeup and hairstylist was running kind of late. Yeah. And it, we don't know what happened. She Did was, they show up? We don't know what happened. <laughs> she was tweeting and posting on Instagram that her hair and makeup person was late. And then they were like, an hour and a half late and then we heard nothing and we were like Rita what has happened like are you okay and she looked beautiful yes. um uh and but her hair wasn't like really overly done which of course can be a choice you know a lot of us wear a lot of makeup to look like we're wearing no makeup at all um so it doesn't necessarily mean anything but I have you know decided with like zero facts or information that she had to do her hair and her makeup (laughs) herself. Um, And it's sort of like a big gig to not show up for. I mean, Rita Wilson is a celebrity in her own right. She's married to a huge celebrity. He was being honored in this really significant way where, you know, the cameras are going to be on her. It's, you know, you got to show up. Right. So I just rewatched Tom Hanks' speech and I, I was so moved the first time, I didn't realize until I rewatched it this morning, he was doing a good lesson, not just for actors, but for anyone, which is show up on time, do your best. So was he yeah. talking to the hairstylist and makeup artist? You <laughs> didn't know, show up? <laughs> I, I don't know. And, you know, I sort of, um, you know, sometimes you tweet things in the hopes that your boss will see it and say, hey, you should do a story about that. Um, which I, you know, nobody, nobody suggested I, you know, track down Rita Wilson or the hair, hair and makeup person. But I was hoping that, you know, somehow in the, in the millions of tweets that I'm sure she's tagged in that she would take notice of mine and be like, Katie, here's what happened. I was ready to kill somebody, but thankfully I had a lot of mascara at home. Okay. So So, so uh, I will let you know if I hear from her. Please. So uh, in a nutshell, can you just give me. I wasn't going to say your whole life story, but like, where are you from originally? And how did you, like, if there's someone's listening who would love to be a re- reporter for the New York Times or, you know, what, well, t- you tell know, me your path. You too, you too can be a reporter for the New York Times because I grew up in Michigan. Um, I went to University of Michigan. I always wanted to be a writer, but really didn't know exactly what that meant. I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a city where there were a lot of, professional creative people um 
and frankly, I didn't grow up in a place where there were a lot of working mothers either, at least not that I was aware of. So I did not study journalism. I wasn't on the newspaper at University of Michigan. I squandered every possible opportunity. Um, but I moved to New York feeling like, well, if you want to be a writer, maybe this is the place to go. And I was lucky enough to get hired as a very, very, very administrative assistant at Elle magazine. And those jobs don't quite exist in the same way now that they used to. But um, they did at the time. And I worked, I got coffee, I ran errands, I opened mail because mail used to still exist as a means of uh, business communication. And I really worked hard at that for three years and learned as much as I could about the publishing industry. And from there, I got a job at a magazine that was short-lived, but that I learned how to really be a reporter at. Um, so I did the thing where you go from a big established company where there's a lot of status to going to an upstart where you actually get to get your hands dirty and learn. And um, That's the best that, way. I, Isn't that the best? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's sort of baptism by fire, and it's terrifying, and it's... Um, exactly what you should do, particularly when you're um, young and energetic and don't yet have um, family or other responsibilities that require you to have something of a, a, a normal schedule. Right. Um, and, and then in 2004, um, I was very lucky to get hired at the Wall Street Journal. And I worked there for 10 years and really learned there, I really, really learned how to refine my reporting. I learned how to structure a story. I learned how to be disciplined in, you know, what, you know, we all do a lot of reporting and we have to, we fall in love with a lot of interviews and a lot of funny quotes and a lot of details. And, and the journal really forces you to get disciplined on what is the bare minimum that, that you need to tell readers what they need to know and drive the story forward. And then I um, made the move over to the New York Times um, about more than five years ago now, I guess. And um, and it's it gives you a little bit more room to be a creative writer, um, but also, obviously, you know, with the reporting chops, and I've I've brought the some of the discipline. I hope that that really was sort of drilled into me at the Journal. Um, and then along the way, I got married and I have two kids. How old are your kids? My kids are 13 and 11. What fun ages. That's awesome. Um, it is. It actually is. People say that all the time. And there's been plenty of ages where I've been like, really, you should come to my house. Um, <laughs> but that, I mean, that's not there. They're all great. But but this is um, this is fun. They're getting a lot of independence, which um, takes a lot, you know, off off my plate. Though they have a lot more emotional needs, I would say. But they're interesting, and they're very much their own people. And um, it's always really uh, a blessing to get to see the world through their eyes. And I feel um, like at, at all ages, really. Yeah, I feel like most importantly, you don't need a babysitter now, right? Well, or kind um, of. <laughs> you know, we are we are drawing back. My son okay. is my son is pretty good on his own. My daughter is a um, my my daughter likes someone to be in charge other okay. than her brother. So <laughs> um, yeah. so we'll get there. I'm we'll curious about there. the two year age gap. So I have a son, Hank, 
who turned uh, two last month, and then January 23rd, in like two weeks or any day, we're having another child. We don't know the gender oh, this time. That's exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you so much. So it's, uh, I feel like we're ready. Like we already have the, the diaper genie and we have a pack and yeah. play in addition to the crib. The, what else you need? Yeah, the second time around, you realize you need a lot, you know, less stuff than you thought you did. I mean, I definitely fed into the sort of baby buying industrial complex the first time around. And the second time, you're like, I need a diaper and I need a place for the kid to sleep. Um, And it's, uh, you know, my husband said you go from... uh, zone to man to man coverage or something some football metaphor that i only sort of understand but um it does it it you know it changes the dynamic but uh it's 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 wonderful and you know whatever when you have an infant it's chaotic i would assume whether Mm -hmm. you have you know no kids yet or a lot of kids it's there's a there's a certain amount of chaos and and uh but at least the second time around you know you get through it you know, you can tell yourself sleep will come again. You know, yes. you just, you have sort of like a more of a long view because you've been through it once. And I feel like two years apart, they can, uh, I mean, every person is different, but hopefully the kids can kind of grow up together and maybe have some mutual friends and uh, keep each other occupied. For sure. My kids are, my kids are very, very close. I mean, they fight a lot, but they're, but that's because they're together a lot and you know, I feel like fighting is part of the sibling relationship to a certain extent. But, um, you know, the one thing that I, the one thing I wasn't prepared for with the second kid is you're pregnant and you've got a toddler and you keep on saying the baby's coming and you're going to be a big brother, a big sister, a big whatever. And, you know, let you talk it up a lot and mm-hmm. then you have the baby and they're very, very fragile. And you're sort of like, don't touch the baby and keep your germs away from the baby and don't touch the baby and the baby's neck and the germs. And, right. and um, I, it, it, they can't actually interact all that much with the baby for several months. It really, um, that was the one thing I wasn't completely prepared for. I wish I had better prepared my son for the idea of like, yes, the baby is coming and stay away from the baby. <laughs> and then <laughs> Yes. And that you'll be able to interact more with the baby. So, so I'm curious. So when you go to a, a cocktail party or a dinner party where you don't know anyone, and then they you meet them or they meet you, what's like uh, a story? They're like, "Whoa, that really had a great impact on me." Did, is there like one or a couple stories where that's like the case? That I've that I've written. Correct. Yeah. Um. Well, hopefully, hopefully there there been a lot. Um. I, I very recently, um, last fall, published um, a big story, and it was it was big both in the the amount of reporting, the amount of time, and uh, the the response to the story about the world of yoga and how much um, touching goes on with with um, very often without people asking permission, and mm. the idea that it's one of the few places left in the world that we all live in where a stranger will touch you just because you've walked in the room. And sometimes it can, you know, there's a lot of inappropriate stuff that can go on as a result, whether it's intended to be inappropriate or feels inappropriate. Um, Sometimes it's one, the other, or both, but sort of the, a look at why hasn't this cultural change come to yoga? What is it about yoga that, um, that allows a practice 
um, that is that is about you know goodness and and respect and sensitivity to to be a place where people very often aren't given the the choice over you know being being touched so that was a big story recently um but i know that you read i think you read a story that i wrote when i worked at the wall street journal about wanting to get my my now late stepfather an invitation to play golf at augusta yes oh and every time i look at your your instagram stories are still on your instagram page um, yeah. I get teary-eyed every time saying that. That was yeah. just beautiful. Yeah. Well, my mom, um, my mom was, uh, my mom died now. It's unbelievable to me about 15 years ago. And she was a young woman um, who lived a very, very, very healthy lifestyle and got lung cancer at 57. And before she died, my stepfather was turning 70 and we had thought, you know, 70 is a big birthday, and we thought we would have a party or do something. But by this time, my mom was very, very sick. And um, I decided I was going to get him an invitation to play golf at Augusta. And I had no idea what that entailed. And I started calling people, and they're like, yeah, that's never going to happen. Like, in a million <laughs> you years, have to be a member. that isn't going to happen. And I think... At a time particularly, well, I enjoy a challenge. And when people tell me no, it makes me work harder. Yes, just, me too. <laughs> built into my nature. Mm-hmm. But I think also just, you know, cancer can make the entire family unit feel so powerless. It's like it, in my mom's case particularly, it really defied all the values I had been brought up with, that if you take care of yourself, you will live a long time. If you are a good person, you will be rewarded. And I I needed to take something that was impossible and make it possible. You know, if I couldn't, if I couldn't do it for my mom, I needed to do it in another way. And so I went on this letter writing campaign and I wrote letters to dozens and dozens and dozens of members of Augusta National Country Club, Golf Club, I believe it's called, Mm -hmm. and um, explained to them the situation and said, I know it's audacious and I know, you know, I have no right and I know you probably get a million, you know, such requests, but you know, add mine to the list. And um, I got, I, I mailed all the letters, which I'm a big fan of uh, for impact. And even back then in 2004 or five, that it still was impactful. Um, How did you, you find know, out who the members were to send them to? I, so I found a list um, in the in the years leading up to when I did this. There had been a lot of media attention about the fact that Augusta had no women members, and um, one news account included the names of every member or nice. what was what was purported to be a list of okay. members. And I found that um, it was not it was it was pretty obscure. I don't think it was I don't think it was the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Um, but I found it and I just, you know, said, well, it, whether it's, you know, 100 percent accurate or not, it's all I've got. And so I started looking for addresses and I, I focused on people who lived in Georgia because I learned 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I learned a lot. I learned that when you when you go golfing at Augusta, you have to have the member with you. So it wasn't like some member could say, sure, I'm going to do a nice thing for you. Your father, stepfather can go play golf on this day. The, the member would have to agree to go with my stepfather, which in some ways made it a bigger challenge because why is someone going to want to go with a total stranger golfing? But for that reason, I focused on initially people in Georgia and I just, you know, I was a reporter about it. I just tracked down all the addresses I could and started started writing letters. And I got a lot of letters back. And I got an invitation from a man who um, I became very, very close to um, and remained close to until the time of his death a couple of years ago. And I, I went to Georgia for his funeral. Oh, so when is the movie going to be made is there a a, a book or something (laughs) i don't know maybe somebody listening there will get in touch with me it really is a beautiful story and the man who ultimately um invited my my stepfather and who i became you know i had a very long correspondence with was somebody who i had learned after had suffered unthinkable loss he had um somehow survived the death of two of his children over the years two of his three children and what i came to learn is that it was through it was through helping other people through their grief that he addressed his own and um and it just was a very powerful connection he was a very very religious christian man from the deep south i'm you know a jewish woman from the midwest transplanted to new york certainly with all the divisions of the world of our country right now on paper we probably are you know are sort of prototypes of of the two opposite sides of the country i mean i work Mm -hmm. at the new york times for pete's sake you know and (laughs) i would assume he would have been a, a huge trump supporter politically um and you know just in christian and jewish and just every sort of way and we had this very very deep bond and it's because he found comfort through service to others and it's a lesson that I have taken with me and I I pay it forward a lot and whenever I can both to people who are going through grief and also to young people trying to get their start in journalism when they feel like they're not being taken seriously because they're not from New York. They're not an Ivy League student. They don't have, you know, they're not part of any of the the networks that have traditionally fed the power structure in in New York City, at least. And and he and my mom are sort of my two inspirations for that. And you know, it's. It's so, you know, when we get, when, when people who are different get in a room together, we see how similar we actually are. It's that we are so, you know, disconnected. And frankly, in some ways, because of technology, we've got, we've, we've got, we think we're connected because we're able to like poke our thumbs on a device and send nasty messages to each other, but we're actually more disconnected because we're less engaged with the world. We're, we're less likely to look somebody in the eyes and shake their hand and have a face-to-face conversation. And it's, you know, it's, it's very problematic. 
So um, people can still get your memoir if you knew Susie, right? On Amazon yes. or wherever they yes. people buy I books. Wrote, I wrote a book about my late mother. Um, there is a chapter in it that is uh, sort of tells the story of, of my relationship with Desi Kalki, is the man from Georgia, and the, the, the invitation to play at Augusta is, is a chapter of it. There's also another very powerful story about golf in there. And basically, after my mom died and I went back to work at the journal, I was reporting all these stories, and I, I was learning these things about the people I was doing stories about, and I realized, you know, there was so much about my own mother I didn't know, and even though we were super close, and we were close, she died before I became a mother, and once I became a mother, I realized, wow, my kid sees me in a very one-dimensional way. I am just the mom, the person who gives him life and, you know, love and food and money and whatever else, and I have a lot more to me than that and it made me start thinking about my mom and all the ways that I didn't know her and understand her dreams and frustrations and motivations and um, I thought well I'm a reporter I'm gonna report it so um, I took her phone book and I just started calling people and saying why are you in my mom's phone book how did you know her I know the official narrative I'm, I'm close with my grandparents I know her best friends I know I know sort of the official story of her, but, but, you know, you know, I just reached out to a lot of strangers and said, how'd you know her? What was your interactions? What were your closeness? And, and I learned an incredible amount about her, an incredible amount. And, um, and I wrote a book about it. Are any of your children named after her? Or? My son is, my mom's Hebrew name was Ariella and my son's name is Ari. Love it. We still have no idea what we're going to name our our baby in a couple of weeks. <laughs> well, you know, your baby will present itself and maybe you'll just be like, oh, obviously it's <laughs> Garth Brooks. <Yeah. laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it, it uh, maybe it, you'll just be sort of like struck by inspiration. That's what happened with uh, Hank, who's two, after Hank Williams and then my wife loves baseball. So Hank Aaron, Hank Greenberg, um, uh -huh. and then our, our grandfathers are Hubert and Harold. Uh, it's just tough because oh, Alex beautiful. is our last name. So we have, uh, I have a first name for a last name. Yeah, I like that. Well, you know, it's funny because my, um, Hank Greenberg was a Detroit Tiger where I grew up. And um, my my father, um, when his younger brother Howard was born, um, Hank Greenberg was, you know, a Tiger. There was an incredible amount of pride in the Jewish community nationwide in Hank Greenberg, but in Detroit particularly. And my dad just started calling him Hank. And my grandma would be like, his name's Howard. My dad was like, no, his name's Hank. And his name is Hank now. So um, all these 70 years later, he is he is Hank Brosnan. Oh, so. oh so, um, speaking of Michigan, uh, sorry about your football game losing to Alabama. Are you, are you ready for next year, winning the national championship? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like hope springs eternal. There, you know, I, I'm I am a loyal fan. They have, you know, they, 
you know, I'm sighing and speechless. So let that be okay. my statement on it. Um, it's well, another fun thing to focus on that that ultimately for me personally is is a, about uh, entertainment value. And, but I do I do have a lot of um, loyalty to the school. And my grandfather was a professor there, and my mom grew up there. Oh, so nice! It's cool. A very, it's a very special place. Okay, yeah, one of our good friends here. They also have a two year old, and they are obsessed with Michigan football. Like they have. Yeah, they, they do. Well, like a lot of the schools in the South, they do a very good job of cultivating uh, active um, and enthusiastic alumni network. And you know, they. You know they they have done a lot of wonderful things in their sports programs, not just football. And it's it's fun. It's it's fun to cheer for your home team, and hopefully once in a while they they manage to win. We'll see. We'll By the see way, before I let you go, you mentioned that your uh, powerful yoga uh, story. Did you see the the Bikram um, documentary on Netflix? I just saw that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the Times made um, the Times has a new television program called The Weekly, um, which airs on FX, and then it goes to Hulu, and now and then it becomes available to Time subscribers. And that we made a half hour documentary. I'll send you a link if you want. Ours oh yeah, came please. Out before the Netflix one, but but it's you know there's in all these different arms and, you know, sort of denominations, if you will, of yoga, there, there are a lot of uh, abusive male leaders. And I point out that they're male just because they all are. I'm not saying that there's, you know, no woman who's done anything wrong or that all men are bad by any stretch, but, but, you know, for a practice that, you know, I would guess is at least, if not more, 60% female in terms of the regular practitioners. There's some very powerful men who rise to the top and make a lot of money. And, um, you know, the I don't know if the power corrupts or if they're, you know, corrupt from the beginning. But there's, there's you know, a lot of bad stuff that goes on. And when you put people in a room that they're not dressed in their street clothes in, that they're putting their bodies in these really kind of vulnerable positions. And sometimes it's super, super hot and, you know, and, and then you add touching with an absence of discussion. It's just really ripe for problems. And, and it has been. Yeah. Learned so. in that documentary, he had fans blowing behind him to keep him cool while everyone else is sweating. And um, like someone mentioned, it's like you're basically wearing a bathing suit. So yeah. And, how know, is he I mean, still teaching in Mexico? That's what it said yeah. at the end of the documentary. And, yeah. He's going on tour. He's going on tour. And he's, wow. um, it's, you know, it's got a lot of, uh, it's got a lot of similarities to certain, you know, cult-like behaviors in, in not just in Bikram and various other, um, forms of of yoga also and it's it's a mess it's a mess but i i hope my story added um or sparked conversation which i know it did and it's really simple to just say can i touch you like it's actually not that complicated and um and a lot of people love adjustments myself included but i just want somebody to ask me before they touch me in a place that, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I just want to be asked. That's all. And I think that in, you know, the world we're living in today, there's really nothing wrong with asking a simple question of may I put my hand there. So it's just four words. Can I touch you? 
Yeah. Or can I, two words, just that easy. I mean, I throw out a lot of words more than that, but, you know, have have much less value or use. Katie, thank you so much for being on the Sam Alex Show. I so appreciate it. Where can we all follow you on Twitter and Instagram and anywhere else? I am at Katie Rossman. So it's K-A-T-I-E-R-O-S-M-A-N on both Twitter and Instagram. And I really appreciate um, talking to you and you're taking the time to to check in and hear what's going on with me. It's uh, been really fun and good luck with the baby. Uh, may everyone be healthy and happy and uh, just remember you'll get through back to having sleep again. It okay. Will come. I'll be sure to send you the, the birth announcement and, and let me know whenever you're in Nashville. I absolutely will. Thank you so much.